welcome to another episode of Love and Citizenship. This is the second time I'm recording this introduction because the first time I did it ended up being an 11 minute introduction of why Carolina is as great as I think she is. But it's 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 going to be a very conscious attempt to maybe not mumble on for another 11 10 minutes about my my incredible incredible friend but also somebody that I'm so very grateful to have on the podcast. I also think this is going to be a running theme in future seasons now as well, where the second last episode of every season will have to feature one of my closest friends, because last season, if you remember, we had Donica McGowan, a fellow creative for the writer project, but also somebody that I consider one of my closest, closest friends in the world. And this season is Carolina Foley, who I genuinely think is one of the coolest people out there. And somebody that I still have to pinch myself occasionally and go, shit, Caroline is actually really good friends with me. Because our friendship has allowed me to grow in ways that I, I hope would have happened anyway. But in just the kindest, most wonderful ways, our conversations are many, many tangents and deep discussions that we just offshoot on every now and then are, are life for me. They, they really are. And I consider anybody who has friends who actively go out of the way to make sure that their friends grow and never, never, are never shy to call them out and always, always very conscious of just, just, just the ways of, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with words here, but what I'm trying to say is I think it's, it's an exceptional privilege to have somebody in your life and friends in your life that allow you to be a better person. And for me, Carolina is definitely one of those people. I, I, I think she's incredible. And Carolina, I know you're listening to this episode, or you will anyway at some point, and you're probably just like, oh, shut the fuck up. Uh, I'm not going to, because honestly, dude, you're incredible. And I am, I'm very grateful to, to have you in my life. And I, I knew I wanted Carolina on the podcast as soon as we wrapped up season one. And I sent her out an email. I want to say... It could well have been that I was still editing the final episodes of season one, but I sent her an email pretty quick. I was like, I'm going to do a season two and I'd really like you to be on. And I'm I'm so glad. I'm so glad she came on because this conversation wasn't meant to be very structured and I still don't think it is. And we didn't really have a theme that we wanted to talk about, but our more recent conversations around the time that we did finally record this episode were to do with the conversations of home. And if you've followed me or my work for any stretch of a time, you know that I've been moving homes since I was 13. I was in a boarding school, which if you've listened to this season, you very much know that, that now, basically. But um, so I've, I've always struggled with the idea of what a home is. And Caroline and I very recently had a conversation about what home is and what belonging means. And having listened to this episode for some time and having edited it now as well, I am very confident that the, the, the one thing that I absolutely wanted this episode to achieve, which is capture Carolina and just, just, just how wonderful a human she is. I think this episode has done that. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> mission, mission completed. And I'm just, I'm just very grateful. I'm just really, really grateful that I have friends like Carolina who just amuse with the idea of their friend doing this podcast and then entertain my weird request of like, hey, do you want to come on and chat for 90 minutes about this one thing we had to chat about once upon a time? 
And yeah, that's that's basically what this episode really is. It's also the second last episode of this season. And our last episode, which comes out next week, is a very special one because I'm actually not hosting it. Somebody who's very dear to me, who I will introduce in that episode, reached out to me fairly recently and suggested that we should interview me <laughs> and get to know a bit about me. And so we're doing a little AMA kind of thing for that episode. And I'm really excited and I'm, I'm, I'm really, really glad that we're doing that. And it's, it's somebody that also is one of those people in my life who I'm very, very grateful to be able to call a friend. But more of that to come down the road. It's the last episode. It comes out next Wednesday and I'm really excited about it. But for this episode, I could be here and again spend another 10, 11 minutes talking about how wonderful Carolina is. But I think that would take away from what this conversation is. And the only person, you know, you really need to listen to now is our wonderful guest, my my dear, dear friend, somebody I love to the moon and back, somebody I feel incredibly privileged and exceptionally lucky to have in my life, the wonderful, the truly incredible Carolina Foley. Um, yeah, hello. My name is Carolina. My parents decided to make up a name that's four <laughs> syllables long just to make my life awkward from the beginning. Hmm. And uh, I don't know. I'm I'm currently living in Paris, so if I make reference to that, I I've been meaning. I suppose I think when when we decided to do the episode, I know you like to say you bullied me into having you on the podcast, but I think I I have. I think for me, it's been a three season approach. Of like season one is Danica, season two is Carolina, and season three will be Michael. For me, I think now our friendship is at a point where we can talk about the kind of thing that I, I am very excited to, I suppose, talk about today, which is home. And I know we both have very different experiences of home, uh, even different meanings of those, what, what, what a home is. And that's a whole, whole conversation that I'm quite curious to see actually what comes of it as well. But for anybody listening in, I warn you, this conversation will be very similar to the usual voice notes that Caroline and I send to each other, which can be 20 minutes each side. So if you're listening in and if that's still the case, I swear I did try and edit, but like the content was just too rich to get rid of any of that. But yeah, I suppose to kind of get the ball rolling on obviously home questions of, you know, growing up, would you like to maybe tell a bit more about yourself, your history, kind of your journey of growing up in Ireland and what that home was like for you when you were growing up? Yeah, so I guess I have... I never realized I was quite stereotypically Irish. Um, I think especially perhaps for people who aren't from Ireland or haven't been to Ireland, it's an incredibly homogenous place, especially once you get outside of any big cities, even like racially, ethnically, even like religiously, everyone mm -hmm. I knew was Catholic, like mm -hmm. whether or not practicing or not. So I grew up in Trim in Meath, the home of the castle at which Braveheart was filmed which is our one claim to fame. And again, when I say stereotypically Irish, my mom is one of 10. She, her name's Mary. All of her sisters have names pretty much after saints. You know, they grew up on a farm, went to school that nuns taught in, et cetera, et cetera. And then married someone from like 15 minutes down the road. Mm -hmm. And I think actually when I say that, it kind of reminds me of People have like a hierarchy of things that like, you know, you want to have traveled, you want to have explored and had all these like wild, romantic or adventurous exploits. But actually, I have to say their marriage, my mom and my dad, who are Mary and Frank, I'll probably refer to them as such. They're, they're honestly like what 
I would love to have in my life. So like the perfect couple in that they're not overly squishy, I guess. I don't know what the word or, you know, mushy with affection. I think the word you're looking um, for is sappy. Yeah, yeah, sappy would be it. I don't know why that that just left me. But yeah, I, yeah, they, they have a great marriage. All of my friends I would say prefer my mother to me. <laughs> I always tell them they're just using me to get to my mother and they agree, but they also kind of admire their relationship. And so do I. Um, so yeah, I'm the youngest of three, two older brothers. Like there's only three years between us all. I think my brother was two going three. My oldest brother was two going three when I was born. So grew up very close together. And like when we were younger, played a lot together. And yeah, spent my time on like my childhood, mainly running around my cousin's farms. And just honestly, I remember thinking when I was like 14 or 15, being like, God, I have had no like trauma or there's been there's been no kind of big event in my family's life, which isn't true, but I don't really remember it. And and things like that, even my two grand, my dad's two parents had died before, well before I was born and my mom's two parents still alive. So there was never a big rupture in my childhood and like generally grew up not at all class conscious, but when you then go to Trinity College, they kind of make you so. So I grew up generally kind of middle class and yeah, very of what I would consider normal, but in the sense Mm -hmm. that like, you know, we weren't going on three holidays a year, but we probably went on one holiday a year Mm -hmm. and we were never like absolutely strapped for cash. We were never like overflowing. Like I never knew, I never knew of money issues because they didn't, they were never stressful enough that they got, became revealed to me. And I went to college, studied history and politics, which is how I met Pranav. Mm-hmm. Then did a master's in conflict resolution and reconciliation. And I'm now living in Paris, working for kind of the Department of Foreign Affairs is, is the easiest way to put it. So, yeah, I don't know if that's a good enough in, intro. No, it is. I think it, it sets the foundation down for a lot of anyway references or conversation that we will have. But yeah, so you, you moved to Belfast from Dublin. When, when was that? I should know this. Oh, yeah, I actually, so uh, September 2020, I am, um, yeah, I was in Dublin for four years of college, graduate, finished in what, May 2019, got to do a tiny bit of traveling over that summer and then was back working in my local supermarket, Super Value mm-hmm. Trim to kind of save to travel. And then mm-hmm. the pandemic hit. And then my mother was like, sure, sure. Well, I always wanted to do a master's. I'd kind of found this one. I wanted to do this one. So then my mother was kind of like, ah, look, what, what else would you be at really if you weren't doing a master's during the pandemic and not really going to get to go anywhere? So moved to Belfast, September 2020, and then I moved to Paris. So then I came home from that in May mm-hmm. 2021 and then mm-hmm. moved to Paris in December 2021. Before, before I jump to, obviously, changes to Dublin as well as moving to Belfast and now Paris, what would you say is home for you? I was only home this weekend. So yeah, we live say a mile out of a town in a in a house that my dad's dad built and that my dad grew up in mm-hmm. and I think particularly being friends with you has really reinforced how much home is home for me and I, I think it's kind of like in a way you're like you know you don't want to say that home is like a place in a way it's like oh it's the people who are there but it actually very much is the place too like I love being home with my family and like we spend not that we spend so much time together but like we're very e- at ease with each other I guess in the house mm-hmm. but even the place like I think because I grew up there from literally that's where I was brought home to and I just feel really embedded in that house 
and like we look out on a field behind the house and like that view and I, yeah just that space it's just like it's just there's nowhere in it that I feel in any way uncomfortable or I feel in any way that I haven't kind of broken in like I do you know not it's as if you know there's a there you have your kind of groove in a couch and not literally but like I do feel like I really just kind of it it, it has molded to me or I have molded to it so yeah it's just like kind of <laughs> pure unadulterated comfort and like I always said I was like a country person mm-hmm like I'm not a city person and I do like cities, but not I like, I think also at home, I just feel very unobserved, which is a really lovely thing for me. Yeah. I think we've talked about this before and it, it kind of goes into the male gaze as well, mm-hmm. but I think it's just generally society as well. And, and, wh- and where those two things depart from each other, I don't know, maybe they are one and the same, mm-hmm. but like just being at home, I just feel like, yeah, there's no one watching me. I know I can look like shit and it's fine. And it's it's this whole idea that there's there's no value judgment happening off my appearance. Yeah. Which I think is something I find anyway, kind of rare in life when you live in cities and maybe particularly Paris. Now maybe Paris is just a different way. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, you feel like you go out your door and there's always someone there. Like there's there's gonna be someone there, yeah. whether you're just waiting at a bus stop or whatever. So the second you leave, you're kind of observed where it's like I can at least you know, there's, there's, not, there's not like, I don't, I don't put my blinds down in my room at all. Like they, I, yeah. I didn't have a curtain on my room for years because there was like, there was never going to be anybody to look in. And that, that, like that security and being unobserved is very lovely. So I guess that's definitely part of what I like about home. Though mm-hmm. so it's, it's almost like, uh, it almost exists only because a negative exists. Whereas I feel like other things of home are just pure positives, like just the comfort and the the people and the, the um, familiarity where that is only that can only exist because the negative feeling when outside of home exists as well I guess yeah it's the I was one of the questions I was going to ask you was basically is home a place of the people but I think you've answered it and you've answered it really well the thing you said about I think the capacity or the space to not be observed I've never had that you've never you've never felt unobserved yeah which right. is which is very weird because as you were saying it, I was thinking back to my family home, which is I make this distinction anytime anybody asks me. I don't have a home. I consider myself a wanderer for the moment, which I don't always want to be. But my parents' home is their home. It's a family home that I can go back to. And I feel incredibly privileged to kind of have that. You know, I had that in the pandemic, but I think it's distinctly theirs. And so when when I whenever I think... I've been in the family home, even when we were kids, you know, you'd go to birthday parties or you'd go to school. You were so-and-so's son because our family is so old in the city and we've known in the city. It was always the case of there's an observational eye of the city on you. It's like, oh, that is, so my dad's name is Piush. And so it's like, oh, that's Piush's son. And you're constantly aware of that. And you found that you didn't like that. Oh, I hated it because I like to be invisible. I mean, that's the ultimate desire for me anyway. Not so much, again, this is the caveat is like, Pran, you put out wonderful things and you write and you do all of this. I was like, to be known for the work I do is one thing, but to be able to walk down the street or do something stupid and nobody be able to tell who I really am is something I've never had. And then school as well. I mean, you're, you're in a confined place with 600 kids. Everybody knows everyone. So everything that you do is observable. And then obviously moving to Canada or say moving to Ireland where like race suddenly becomes this thing 
when you talk about the male gaze, we had a recent chat over voice notes about like the male gaze. And I said this to you before we recorded as well. For me, obviously, it's something that I know exists, but to have our conversation and really get to hear what it's like for you to experience that. I mean, it's the only equation or like thing I could equate it to. It would be my experience of like racism or being racially profiled, which is like soon as I stepped out of India for the first time, I think on my own anyway, I was 16, I moved to Canada. And for me, just so acutely aware of like how other people look at me. And in, in Canada, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, even though I was in Quebec and Quebec, I have found to be slightly racist, um, but it wasn't nearly as bad as it was in Ireland. And we've talked a lot about this. So for, for me, anyway, this can go on forever. But I think for me to, to hear you talk about home being a place you're not observed just sounds so like that is dream. That is like absolutely the dream scenario for me. It's funny because you talk about like, say your parents' home, but it seems to just seep into this, the town or the city you're from. Like mm-hmm. that, because I, like when I talk about home, it is, it is the, it's where the, the road, like the, the kind of, we don't actually have a, a, a wall all around our house, but like it's mm-hmm. where the, the, the bank is yeah. at all for, on all four sides. And like there, I feel unobserved when I go mm-hmm. to trim. <laughs> Trim, when you say when you say you're down with small Indian standards, I imagine Trim might not actually be on a map in India, but it's actually kind of a medium-sized town by Irish standards. Um, there's about, I think, population is around ten thousand. So that would be the same amount of people in like my immediate postcode. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, we didn't we didn't have postcodes until okay. 2017, so yeah, yeah. No, but like, yeah, when I go into Trim. Again, my my dad's kind of similar in a way in that, like, say actually when one of our friends was coming down to my birthday party, I said to him, I, he said, oh, how will I get out to the house? And I said, oh, well, if you get off and trim, like, you, you can walk if you want. There's no footpath, but like, if, if you really want to. And I said, oh, so you can, if you get a taxi, I said, the, the address is this. But if you tell him Frank Foley's house, he might know where it is mm-hmm. and he said he got into a taxi and I was like oh um, it's Frank Foley's house in the taxi and I was like oh yeah 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 yeah. he did physio on me a few years ago <laughs> so like like outside of my home I I completely yeah it can completely resonate with that I think like there'd be people that I I knew and even well, I never thought about this but when I had like my first boyfriend I feel like I was kind of conscious of like the cars driving by mm-hmm. you know if you're holding hands or shifting or whatever that you'd be like oh somebody I know will see me or something. Like I remember my, my brother went downtown with two of his friends at like half nine. I think they were going to Extra Vision, which is like a DVD rental place, mm-hmm. uh, the blockbuster of Ireland. But they went downtown and my mom found, my mom was told, like someone told my mom that they mm-hmm. saw James downtown. And my mom was like fuming, whatever age she was, she was like, you shouldn't be downtown at that age or you shouldn't be, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So like in trim, I can completely kind of relate to that. And I think it actually is interesting because I, another aspect of home or whatever is that like I feel like my parents never had expectations for me or kind of that they never had like concrete like this is what you're gonna do yeah like I, I don't know I, I don't know about your parents I don't know what the stereotype is exactly in Ireland but like you always hear the stereotype in India mm-hmm. they're gonna be what an engineer or a doctor is that it yeah and like my parents never had those expectations of me but I feel like not being like oh it's a big name in town but I feel like mm-hmm. people around me would kind of know like the, the mommies 
of like people who I went to school with, however, would know who I was. And whether or not they ever actually considered these things, I was like, oh, I feel like kind of trim has an expectation mm-hmm. in a way. Not like that's fairly kind of big headed, but yeah. just like I worked in the, again, I worked in local super value and people I'd know, again, mostly kind of mommies, they'd ask, oh, and are you here full time? And there was this like, like, <laughs> weight of judgment in that question yeah. like are you gonna work in super value for the rest of your life and mm-hmm. there's absolutely nothing wrong with working in super value for the rest of your life though it's not rewarding in the sense that uh you don't get paid very well to do it like but the reason they were asking is because like oh that's like a this is a bad outcome for you or whatever yeah. you know so yeah i understand those two and i think again definitely it has maybe reinforced my comfort at home in that i guess all these like external negatives kind of reinforce the internal positive of like yeah. home um, yeah. so yeah so I'm, I'm curious then in terms of I, I don't want to use the word privilege because I know I've already used it but I think okay I have a more I don't know front row view of like your relationship with like how you feel about home what your relationship is like with your dogs and your family but, dogs come first <laughs> yeah oh 100% your dogs and your family I suppose yeah yeah, yeah. dog I mean we do we deserve dogs I don't know they're just better than people but uh I, I I'm wondering what like because I have my journey of this and I've written about my journey of this but I'm very curious for you moving home then leaving term for the first time to go to Trinity this is like the big move or the first big move I'd say and subsequently obviously i'll talk about belfast and paris as well what was it like kind of leaving trim to go to dublin and then living in dublin so it's it's actually funny because i think i said it earlier like talking to you has really kind of made me consider the idea of home more Mm -hmm. because moving to dublin so like trim is just over an hour by car from trinity no traffic it's an hour if if it's like rush hour it could be two hours Uh so moving to dublin never felt like a big move Okay. I think I think also <laughs> as as you are well aware, I am not the emotionally I'm not the person in this friendship who is emotionally informed about herself or themselves. <laughs> but I never considered it. I've never like only when you asked, I was like, Yeah, that should have probably been a bigger deal, but it wasn't. <laughs> and I think I think I t- take change quite well or okay. Because I think when you, especially when you're 18, like I wasn't moving far enough away that like literally I was probably home the next weekend, maybe mm-hmm. stayed up the first weekend to kind of be yeah. like, oh, you know, I'm an adult now. Yeah. But it meant nothing to me nearly. I, like I was really happy. I was moving in with a girl, like one of my best friends, mm-hmm. Roshin, who like is from, it's not from my hometown, but went to school with her and lived yeah, 15 yeah. minutes away from me. And yeah, like I, I was moving in with her. I was an hour from home. The first year I lived there, I think it was. I was still playing camogie, an Irish sport, great sport, one of the best. But uh, yeah. I mean, is it cricket though? um, It's not. It's actually a lot, lot better. (laughs) Uh, No, actually, in fairness, I I think I watched some 2020 cricket. And it is, I I enjoy any sport, a big sports fan. So I I can enjoy cricket, but people tell me not to watch test matches because it's Don't watch test matches. Yeah. But sorry, moving moving to moving to Dublin. Yeah, moving to Dublin, not cricket. But anyway, I was playing camogie uh, and with my local team, and I so I'd come home like at least once a week for training or like mm-hmm. for a game or something. So I remember Roshin saying to me, I think it was after college, but she was like, "Sure, you didn't, you hardly lived in Cambridge the first year," and she was right. Like I was constantly in and out. So I think in one way, a lot of changes in my life have been these like slow creep. You know what I mean? Like even I feel like 
people are better at taking a moment over things. Like even, you know, you mm-hmm. graduate, but like you kind of did the exams a few months ago. You kind of yeah. know you didn't fail them because you didn't completely bomb it or whatever. And then you kind of go on and then you get your results and you can, you know, that's, that's great. But then, and then the graduation ceremony. So it's this like very slow, I think my mind kind of just slowly onboards these things as it kind of goes along. So nothing mm-hmm. ever feels like a, a stop start. You know, there wasn't the end of living in Truman. I just yeah. started living in Dublin because and I never had to move out. Like I like I kept my room in Sherman, kept stuff in it. Like nobody was nobody was taking that. Yeah. So yeah, definitely Dublin didn't have an impact on me. Not to skip straight to Paris, but I would say this time moving to Paris, maybe moving to Belfast. I can't really remember, but this time moving to Paris was mm-hmm. was the time I was actually like. No, actually, uh, yeah, moving to Belfast for my master's, I definitely was, I was like, oh, this could be like the last time I live at home. I was entirely wrong with that. I'm probably going to, I'm going to live at home now again when I get home yeah, to yeah. Paris. So that's like, but I, I was like, oh, wow. I was like, God, that's, you know, I like, I, I like to live in at home. My, again, over the pandemic, like all five family members are home. My two, my, my mom, my dad, my two brothers, mm-hmm. and we didn't murder each other. We didn't, like, there was probably, I think five adults living in the house is difficult. And especially yeah. when, there's a kind of leftovers of the parent-child dynamic. <laughs> like my dad would walk by if he saw me on my phone in my room at like 12 o'clock, he'd be like, oh, put it on your phone, stop scrolling and go to bed. It's like, you can't really tell me not to do that anymore. Like I mm-hmm. I, I suffer the consequences of my actions and I'm mm-hmm. an adult now, so I have to face up to that. Like it, yeah. that's what you can't tell me, but it's kind of like, it's like I am, I'm your child, but I'm not a child. Yeah. So that dynamic is kind of, it definitely... It definitely shifted. Mm-hmm. And I think my parents always kind of treated us quite with a, a good bit of respect, even when we were kids. But yeah, so when I was moving to Belfast, I was like, oh God, I, I, I've been kind of enjoying this, like living at home. And I like being around people. And I, I don't know if I want to be, I don't know if this, I want this to be the last time I live at home. But I think in a way, having a home means you're always comparing things to it. Mm-hmm. So when I moved to Paris then, I was like, I definitely felt kind of sad I was leaving. And even when I was coming back this weekend, I was like, God, I'd love another few days here. And I don't know if I could ever get enough days at home in one sense. And not that I do much with them and not that they're like, like perfectly idyllic. I'm not skipping through wildflower meadows or whatever all day and just eating freshly baked bread or whatever. Like, but I just, again, that kind of comfort, I, um, yeah, it just, I know I'm stepping out of that ultimate comfort zone, I guess. Yeah. And it has definitely made me think of whether or not that's worth it, like, I like I like being in Paris. I have to say, every city I've lived in, I've been broke while living there. Um, so I think that's not exactly conducive to city life. I, I think I might have said this to you before, but I, I kind of have this thing where I think you you kind of buy your happiness in a city, and it, it kind of comes free in the countryside. And not like you go for a, like a, a great a great activity in the countryside, you go for a hike or a walk or whatever. And but in a city, you have to. <laughs> that was sorry. Not to cut you off, but that was, that is going to be in the teaser that I put out, like home, ah, oh, living in the city, you buy your happiness, whereas it's free in the countryside. That is, that if that, there is a sentence that captures, that is beautiful. Sorry, that was, that blew me away. Well, um, I, I really was sure I said that to you already, but uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, <laughs> you enjoyed it. But no, I, I do think it's true. And I don't know if, like there's definitely some people like I have a friend who is amazing at living in cities like mm-hmm. she was I met her in Paris and she's now living in New York and she would like 
she'd show up like she just had the energy for cities like she she I'd ask her what she was doing for the weekend or if she wanted to hang out and she knew of like three things that were on like three different exhibitions or, or like a movie and like we went to a it wasn't a premiere premieres and there was no stars and red carpets yeah. but like you know she found a movie premiere that then the the after party was on the rooftop on a rooftop bar on the Champs-Élysées that has like the best view of the Arc de Triomphe and the the sun set right behind it and it was, it was pretty great mm-hmm. so I, I don't I, in a way I feel like I don't have the energy for cities I don't like embrace cities and I think it's because I, look I'm a country person like I, I don't I'm not used to that pace in a way but no, I do think, like, I think it's just, there's an ease in the countryside. Again, you're not observed. You can kind of go out and have a wander. You don't have to like, yeah, you can just do whatever. Like I, like if we bring the dogs for a walk, we can go walking for two hours out in the bog near my cousin's house and yeah. you not meet a soul. Like, and you know, you can, uh, there's just so much you can kind of do that's just easy and unspectacular mm-hmm. in the nicest way. Like I say, I, I definitely have had a conversation with you about this about like the idea of like small beauty or like yeah i think like definitely where i'm from i remember one of my friends she drove up to belfast see me and she's like god northmead is so gorgeous like it's so much nicer than where we're from in mead and northmead is gorgeous it's very mm-hmm. nice and like because you you can kind of get up higher like mead yeah. is famously flat i think 300 feet might be our like highest point of elevation <laughs> but it's minuscule um but so like because it's a, it's great farming land you see yeah, yeah. the best farming agricultural land in the country almost yeah. they should yeah, hire you for the visit me uh, kind <laughs> of <laughs> honestly yeah <laughs> um but no it's a great place everyone come visit i'll give you a hit list of what to see but she was saying north me and you're like yeah it's gorgeous but it's like there's something like i literally like there's something so it's that I love and, and what I kind of call a small beauty because it's not this fucking majestic like I remember seeing El Cap mm-hmm. uh, in Yosemite or, and you're just like holy Jesus like you're like how is something even that massive like it is it's it, it's ginormous it's it's so like it's this enormous majestic piece of rock and that sounds ridiculous it's just a piece of rock but it is it's, it's really incredible mm-hmm. and like you see stuff like that and you're like wow like that but I think almost sometimes I find those things, I think El Cap, I really, I didn't find hard to process, but I mm-hmm. think sometimes I find those things, you see something that's huge and, and amazing and you look at it and you, I, I really find it hard to actually, like I just kind of see it and then I like stop looking at it and I, I don't, I don't know what way I'm meant to react to these things because you're yeah. like, I know it's magnificent, but I don't know what to do with that, yeah. that knowledge. Like, but I think me, I, like I just, a sunny day in trim, a sunny day in my house, Honestly, go jump in the river if we if I have someone jump in the river or go to lakes in Mullingar or whatever. Yeah. And that's all I need. If there was more sunshine in Ireland, I honestly think I'd be tempted never to leave it. <laughs> and in twenty years' time, with the greatness of climate change, you know, the <laughs> yeah, the Ireland might be a desert. But yeah, though to to I I'm I'm curious. I am very curious. This is kind of focusing back on the conversation we were having. Well, we're meant to be having, yeah. <laughs> no, but like I think that's half the fun of having a friend on. Because like you you can you can go on tangents. I think we we briefly touched on the idea of well not briefly, but like we we have in our conversations, but also in this podcast, kind of talked about home and comfort. And you know, like for me, it's always been or it swung from like extreme like. For anybody listening, the first tattoo I ever got was at 22 and it says seek discomfort. And I have now swung firmly to the side of you need comfort to seek discomfort. And home is a comfortable space. 
home is just rest in the nicest way possible or as you you know you're you said the capacity to be unobserved which is so restful and so incredible i'm curious do, do you think you've in in the physical sense of course that's the literal way to take it but i think i suppose the more mental or spiritual way of like have you do you think you find your home i think and this is like this is like the downside to it in a way i mm. think my home is my home and yeah. The downside to that is I don't, not that I don't want to live with my parents forever, but I don't want to live with my parents forever for like no reason other than, you know, I'm an adult and hope to have a family that, you know, probably be just chaotic <laughs> to, to make us all live together. Mm-hmm. But it does, it, it, it really, it, the bar is now very high to yeah. find something to measure up to what my home is now. I do think I definitely from, from being here and, Again, it's nothing like Emily in Paris. I haven't even seen Emily in Paris, but but even, yeah, definitely moving to Paris, I've been like, you know, I always kind of wanted to move abroad. That's, I did my Erasmus here mm-hmm. and was really excited to come and really loved it and do like Paris. I, I definitely yeah. haven't probably got to embrace it as much as maybe I should have. Because mm-hmm. like, I'm only here six months, six months is a short time. There's been a pandemic. I was home for Christmas and it's just, and then people were visiting and it is like, it's not much, like, I think by the time you kind of get into it, it it's, it's ended. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I definitely have, it has definitely made me realize that I'm like, well, maybe I do just want to be, I think in Ireland, I think I will live in Ireland. And I want to live in Ireland eventually. Anyway, I think in one way I'm like, I'm good to go home now and, and be in Ireland generally, maybe not in trim, but like around Ireland working. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll lose that desire after a few years, but I, I don't know if I will. Like a lot of my friends are talking about leaving now. And I guess because I already did it, like I did the Erasmus, you know, I can be like, I, you know, I lived in Paris and I lived in Belfast. I lived in Dublin. And, you know, I like as per stories you tell your kids and grandkids, it's like, yeah, that's grand. Like, I kinda, I've ticked the living abroad box, but I definitely, home has become a, a high bar and creating something. So I think I also have been in a way given the tools to create something similar, but I think that has to be with at least another person. Yeah. Well, whether that be like, well, like with another person as a partner and then, you know, children or whatever, like whoever else comes along with that. Yeah. I, but I also do, sorry, I'll, I'll end this sentence then. <laughs> um, I also do, I'm a big fan of the idea, though I tell my mother this and she's like, no, God, no, don't you dare. dare. And I know she's joking, but I think it's a, oh, I can't remember her name. It's a, is it Kiki's Closet or something? It's, it's some Instagrammer. I shouldn't just call her Instagrammer. She's kind of an educator. Yeah. But she is, I think she's Japanese American and living in California or somewhere mm-hmm. on the West Coast. But she was talking about how, like, you know, she wanted to re-embrace community. I think it was her talking about how to re-embrace, like, the community rearing of children. Yeah. And I think I definitely do. Like, I grew up around my cousins and aunties and uncles. And, um, like, my cousins are some of my best friends and still are. And uh, But, like, that idea that we kind of, you know, we were sent off down, down the fields and we just... We did kind of raise ourselves, not that we raised ourselves and that we were abandoned by the adults, but like mm-hmm. you kind of figured stuff out on your own. Like you figured out what was dangerous. You didn't go, you checked fields before you went into them for livestock that would be maybe dangerous for you to, to be in a field with. And and you kind of learned to make these assessments. I think that was really a good thing to do. Yeah. But I think also I, I don't, I don't particularly like the idea of like, um, you know, not, not that I don't like the idea of paying for childcare, but I'm just like, no, I like, I, I like this idea that you kind of share child rearing duties among a group like a family or whatever like you know we'd be out at my auntie's house one day and then 
they'd be in at our house another day and whatever and that sort of thing that we thought was just like fun play dates but was also probably convenient time for our mothers and fathers to to get some other work done yeah so yeah so I think in that sense I'd like to be I think home is community and I think in one way I, I have a very close community in my family yeah but what how that can manifest itself for the next generation or for when I'm older or whatever I'm not sure but I know that I would like to at least if it's not the family that I am biologically uh genetically tied to who mm-hmm. I, I love and I would love it to be them but like it's not them at least like a chosen family that like yeah it's not just the house it's like the, it's a kind of community as well yeah damn of whatever I was expecting that answer to be that wasn't it but in the best way possible okay um, good in the Hate to in, let you down though. no I mean no in, in in the best way possible I think that is that is very much the answer to wrap things up then if you Carolina could go back in time to 10 year old you having experienced you know everything that you have up until this point till this day literally what would your advice to you be or like what would you say to yourself you have an hour to hang out with 10 year old carolina what would you say i don't i really don't know i don't know if i'd i wouldn't talk to her yeah carolina doesn't like talking at all in fairness <laughs> no 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 <laughs> she'd probably talk too much so i wouldn't get a word in edgeways <laughs> it's also this hasn't been a recently developed pattern but no i think i honestly think like the one thing i can think of is be a bit nicer to my mother i think like when i i was never like we were never shouting at our parents children we were never anything like that but i think i would yeah i think like my mom when I had my first boyfriend, my mom's mother was living with us for kind of the last two years of her life. Um, knowing that, you know, she was, she had been sick and then we mm-hmm. kind of said, look, she can move in with us. That sounds like, oh, look, sure, she can move in with us. But no, yeah. uh, very happily, we're mm-hmm. able to, we had the space for her to move in. But it was definitely like, it was a hard time for my mom and my mom's family. There's lots of kind of uh, conflict and arguments and um, whatever. And I think... I would have, I was probably, that was probably when we got on the least. Yeah. Not that I was in any of the arguments, but I, yeah, I wasn't really, I I was, I was being an icy teenager. Mm -hmm. And I think I just kind of not being like, oh, I I wouldn't be an icy teenager because I do think it's kind of like a formative experience or whatever. But I I would have really liked if that period came during a time when my mom wasn't going through that much shit. And then otherwise, I think I would probably be like, okay, don't start caring about other people too much. And not about what other people think too much. I think that's probably my... um, I was mildly concerned. Like, don't give a shit about people. Uh, yeah, I know. I said that. I was like, oh, I can't abandon your morals at ten. Yeah. Build up, go for money. Yeah. Um, be a capitalist, which would be such a departure from you. Yeah. In fairness, when I was like ten or oh no, maybe I was eleven or twelve. My auntie brought me to see the musical Disco Inferno done by the um like the local youth uh, musical society, and the only thing I remember from it was a girl was like. Marry for money, love comes later. And that like that's literally all I got. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Maybe actually, you know, maybe if I maybe that is the road I've actually secretly taken. You just need to now find a Parisian billionaire who's willing to relocate to Ireland. There's, <laughs> there's a there's a I was looking up the cemetery in Montmartre just to see who was buried there because people go on about Parisian cemeteries. Yeah. And there's like, I don't know what his first he could be like a lieutenant or something. Let's just say like Lieutenant Dubadi. I said like D A B A D I E, like the body, and I was like, 
I will find descendant Dabati just so I can have the second name Dabati and, and marry yeah. him. But he would I imagine he'd be rich too if he's if his great great grandfather has a has a Wikipedia. No, I'm not actually that's not my life goal. I think yeah, I think I would just be like care a little less about what other people want because I think I'm still definitely trying to untangle mm-hmm. like what I actually want and like what my goals in life are yeah. versus I don't think like I think no one could have forced anything on me. I don't think a lot of it is my perception of what people perceive of me. It's yeah. just a, yeah. it's kind of like a double looped mind fuck. But um, yeah. yeah, so I think that would be the, that would be, they would be the two things. But here's a follow up question. Obviously, you've, uh, if the young Mr. Dabadi is listening to this, uh, please reach out <laughs> to me and I will put you in touch yeah. with Carolina. <laughs> Perfect. But uh, yeah, you've now, you know, you're 10 years in the future. You're happily married with all that billionaire fortune. Great. <laughs> no, but jokes apart. You know, I, I asked you the question of, te- you know, 10 year old you, but like, what's your hope for yourself 10 years from now? Honestly, I think I'd like to be living in Ireland. Mm-hmm. At this moment, I want to be living in Ireland, but I think I definitely know that I am caught in the cringiest terms possible. I'm like a wonder sharer. I can't think of a better way of putting it. But like when I say, I, I always want to share an experience with people. Like I've, yeah, not yeah. that I have no interest in doing things on my own, but like I've, you know, I, I live alone now. I live alone the first time I moved to Paris. I've done a bit of traveling alone. And like it doesn't, I like living alone, I suppose. It's, mm-hmm. Again, it's the kind of being unobserved, but I have no real interest in like living life, I guess, alone. No. For the pure reason that I just enjoy company and, and whether like, Again, I guess that's something to unlearn from our patriarchal society is that doesn't mean that it has to be a romantic partner. Mm-hmm. It could just be, you know, friends and whatever. But I do, yeah, I think I'd also like to be in like a good relationship that not not mimicked my parents, but that like echoed the safety that I can see and, and the comfort and love that I can see in my parents. Probably live in Ireland. But again, if, you know, if you find someone like that, I think you, you know, that's, then that can kind of become your comfort zone in your home. So wherever mm-hmm. they are, can be a comfort zone enough and I think like work-wise or whatever I think I'd really like to actually work with people I think living in Belfast and meeting people who did like amazing community work I think honestly if you don't visit Trim visit Belfast because it's like it's a phenomenal place Mm -hmm. Uh, and such a such a wonderful place yeah so I think they showed me that like the importance of community work and also the, the joys and the the value that you can get from it and you can give to it so I think I'd like to do something like that. And maybe something academic. I don't know. Sometimes I think I'd like to do a PhD. Sometimes, you know, I think I'd like to scoop out my eyeballs. But no, uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I think, I, I think uh, I'd like to do something. I think I, you know, you have talked about this, about having kind of different income streams sound so like reductive. To be like, oh, have more than one, multiple income streams. It's just like you watch mm-hmm. like a financial advice YouTuber. For yeah, years, yeah. But no, but like to have lots of things that I enjoy yeah. until I retire. And I think I'd like to do that. I'd like to just like give a few, a lot of different things a shot that interests me. And, you know, if I end up in one place that I'm actually like, you know, end up working somewhere for 30 years, unbeknownst to myself, happy mm-hmm. out. But like, I don't, I'm kind of moving away from that idea that I have to, you know, that that my career starts now and it's, it's only, yeah. it's one linear pathway from here to a specific role at the top of like, I don't know, the OECD or the World Bank or whatever. I don't, I kind of, yeah, that that no longer is as much interest to me. So, Well, to, to Carolina listening to this episode 10 years in the future, because I will send this to you on the 10 year anniversary of when this episode comes out. 
I hope you're happy listening to this and you you've you you know you you find yourself happy. But to to Carolina in front of me, I appreciate you kind of coming on and uh, talking about all these things. I don't know. We don't do a like, share, and subscribe, but I will. I don't know. Give you give you any any parting words for anybody listening. Oh God, uh, no! I, I'm not the wise. Like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> like, share, and subscribe. Oh no! I think. Uh, do I have any parting words? Not really. I think in the in the vein of like, share, and subscribe, I would say that definitely you and even you know Donica was writing, and you know Michael, whatever Michael does now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like the three of you have been like a great like a, a great shift of focus or a great kind of influence in a way that like even you with all your writing and podcasting and stuff it's like it's yeah. nice to see people actually do things they're passionate about and actually to put a lot of effort into it so you know find find those people who create like that comfort zone or create that like safe space that you can get energy and inspiration from and yeah and i guess just uh yeah i guess that's probably it since it's I have the last word, I think I'd, I'd you, you're very kind in saying it, but I think I can only speak for your friendship and my friendship. I tend to get a lot out of it as well. And for me, I'd never thought I'd ever go to a march ever in my life. Uh, I think your friendship has dropped off on me where like at this point I've attended a good few. And like in, in, in some way, not that I ever didn't care about the world, but I think yeah find find a friend who can show you why it is so important to give a shit about the world is i think what i will say for anyone listening in we obviously have another episode out uh, next week but carolina thank you thank you so much for coming on to the podcast well thank you for having me whether or not i bullied you into making me be here um, <laughs> i have appreciated the conversations that have led to this and this conversation and I hope it is of some value to someone out there. So yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode. We have another episode out next week on the Wednesday. And if you like what we do and the work that we're putting out, do consider joining our Patreon. Till then, this has been Love and Citizenship, and I will catch you in the next one. <laughs>